0: hello underdog nation welcome to the second installment of our 50 under 50 podcast in which we stand up for our favorite movies that were spurned by critics according to the rotten tomatoes ranking so as it works is any movie that is below 50 percent on rotten tomatoes we will review and explain why they matter i'm charlie salick of joker mag and I'm joined by my friend here, who
1: I'll let him introduce himself. This is Henry Duncan, and I'm here to prove to you why this is one of the greatest Will Ferrell performances of all time.
0: Wow, that's a strong statement coming out of the gate, but I'm not, not necessarily refuting it, but it's a strong statement. So actually, let's start there, Henry. Why does this performance resonate so much with you?
1: Uh, well, I think, first of all, it, it deals with the underdog mentality, Phil Weston, Will Ferrell, um, was sort of a, as we talked about earlier, a calm, sort of good man. He can get pushed around a little bit, um, but, you know, he learns to, as we know, he joins to coach the Tigers, the lowly Tigers. Um, and, you know, it doesn't start off well. Uh, the kids are not very good at soccer except for his son. Um, but you see just the evolution of Will Farrell. I mean, if, if you don't love the coffee scene, his evolution of his addiction to coffee and his rants, and I know you pointed this out earlier, his rants are just on par of one of the funniest things in comedy. I, you know, I think that. Um, but I just think it's a great performance. Um, and I want you to talk about sort of the, the two Will Ferals, um that really t- tie into this movie and that you're so fond of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, he goes from at the beginning of the movie he's very straight laced and timid and you know as you mentioned ertz i was uh trying to remember exactly what his position was, and you point out that he is he uh, has a vitamin shop or he owns i don't think it's the vitamin shop, but I think he owns or and is the sort proprietor of a vitamin shop of some sort so basically, I think he starts out the movie about exactly how you would expect that type of character to uh, comport himself he's very you know kind of straight-laced suburban guy like a dad uh you know just just a uh, you know kind of doesn't really have any particular way about him he's just uh you know yeah your typical dad from the suburbs and then i think he uh somewhere along the way whether it's uh, the influence of Mike Ditka as assistant coach, the mm-hmm. inf- the influence of his father uh, in, uh, based on his father's demeanor played by Robert Duvall, who we'll get to later, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, yeah. And then so over the course of the movie, once he once the team starts winning and he becomes, you know, he becomes more kind of successful. He really becomes arrogant and just a total jerk and all consumed with winning and also coffee. Yeah, so you brought up Henry like how hilarious that uh scene is with the coffee machine where it's like on the bench and it's like grunting basically like the machine is like sounds like it's about to explode. Well, his son Sam is like sitting next to uh the <laughs> machine and it's like man, what's going on with this thing? And then he I think Sam even has a line right where he's like I know one thing, like when I grow up I'm never drinking coffee and <laughs> and it's a, it's a good lesson Sam. It's a good lesson for any any uh kids any kids out there or any adults that have not yet gotten into coffee uh don't just don't do it um i think you'll be better off as as someone who is trying to wean himself down from about five cups a day uh yeah that's my <laughs> that's my advice well how about you henry do you drink well, coffee and also what uh what's your take on kind of the transformation
1: and uh, of will ferrell here you know, I actually don't drink coffee. I do good, good for caffeine, you. But a whole, there's, a, there's a story to it. I drink something. It's called Highball Energy. It's an organic sparkling water. They sell it at organic stores, Whole Foods, um, wherever you can get it on Amazon, and that is my coffee. I I try not to drink it too much. It's tasty, um, but I can see how you know people. You know, you drink five co- cups of coffee. Will Ferrell drank about 500 in that movie, and you know it's interesting when you said his son Sam is saying next to it. Part of the issue is what I have with Phil in this movie as he sort of evolves into basically like his dad, is he's sitting his own son at the uh at the expense of winning. Winning consumes him. Um, you know, Phil could never really live up to his dad's expectations, his dad's over competitiveness, always need to win. He was probably on the bench when he was growing up and his dad was coaching the Gladiators. Great name for a uh Dominant team, by the way.
0: Youth, and, dominant youth soccer team, yeah, Gladiators.
1: Yeah. Why, why not? <laughs> exactly, it's perfect. And then the little little tigers, but you know this thing of you know, you know, you talk about sore of straight laced uh, Phil West in the beginning of the movie. He's emasculated by his dad constantly, and it sort of wears on him. But he doesn't say anything about it. And I don't know. I think at you know at first he's he just submits to it, and then he, you know, meets Dick, uh, He gets a sort of a friend against his dad, um, sort of a, a common, they have share a common enemy to some extent, not, well, Dick is really, uh, Duval is really Dick's enemy, but Phil just appreciates that Dicka wants to get uh, his dad a little bit. Um, so you, you see Phil toughen up a little bit and really help these kids as, <laughs> um, Dick makes them do conditioning and there's a, there's a scene of Byung Sung who is literally probably three feet tall. He's carrying two big bags of trash across the soccer field. And it's just this, (laughs) it's like such such dick. uh, Um, but it helps Phil, it helps him, um, sort of become, um, a little bit more competitive in a good way. Um, but then, you you know, winning gets to him, coffee gets to him, um, the juice box man gets to him, AKA Dicta and he just, he loses it. Um, And I think he really loses himself in the sort of the underdog mentality uh, because he's consumed in winning Uh, in the end. We'll get to, um, he sort of comes full circle, but you know uh, it's, it's too bad how it, how you you hate to see his going back to the coffee machine and the son staying next to it instead of playing the game. And especially at that age, you know, you sports, you really want to encourage all the kids to play. So um, it's too bad he sort of (laughs) regresses and becomes sort of like his dad. But, I mean, Duvall's great in this, even though he's this – I mean, if you want to get into sort of your take on Buck Weston in this movie, but I think you you spoke about Duvall having this grandeur about him in The Godfather – uh, great character in that. Um, so I wanted to see what your take was on Phil Weston and Buck Weston, but mainly on Buck Weston being Robert Duvall.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'd love to talk a little bit about Robert Duvall here. So, as Buck Weston, uh, fan, people that are more cynical about this movie than us would probably just look at it and say, oh, Duvall cashing in, getting a paycheck late in his career. And yes, I'm sure there is truth to that, but he definitely doesn't phone it in though, Henry, you know, it's like he, uh, Right. I feel like he still is given it, given a great performance. And he still is, uh, you know, throwing in some classic, uh, duvalisms, for lack of a better word, as far as like character development and how he portrays a character. Like he really is like, he's very funny. He's in, but in kind of like a really, um, not necessarily dark way, but in just kind of like a, uh, well, uh, the the one quote that uh, I know we both thought was hilarious is like the part where in the beginning of the movie, where uh, it kind of explains his character, where he's explaining to Phil, or he's like, you know, Phil, it wasn't easy for me when your when uh, your mother died, and then <laughs> Phil just comes back with, she didn't die, she divorced you, and Duval is just like, oh, tomatoes, tomatoes. It's like, <laughs> that's like a that's a funny scene in kind of a messed up way, because it's like. To him he's like, Ah, well, same difference, but those are two drastically different courses there, uh of how things could go. So
1: that's he's uh, Teflon though, he's impervious he's impervious to right. like, doing anything bad.
0: Yeah, and that's like probably what defenders of like people like real life versions of that would be like, Oh, well, you know, just super resilient, just you know, uh, so committed, so one track minded. But but that's also like the negative is it kind of plays into like it, this is kind of a comic look at like, uh you know, the concept of toxic masculinity in coaching where it's like, oh, you know, tough right. it out, like be a man, like, uh, you know, all those types of um kind of old school stereotypes that have uh, been impressed upon by some other coaches and just kind of, and ways that we're kind of getting, we're starting to veer away from that in sports. I think for the better. And as far as youth sports, I think sometimes, uh, you know, it goes a little too far in the other direction, but I think it's still good to get away from from uh, from definitely the, you know, like toxic masculinity where it's like, uh, you know, where it especially in youth sports where it's like such an impressionable uh, developmental age where, uh, you know, you could really ruin someone's confidence by by just acting like a raving lunatic as a as a figure in a position of power like that.
1: Definitely, I can remember I was in fifth grade playing a youth basketball championship, and it was a triple overtime game. And I played one quarter. I played one quarter. And I was a I was an okay basketball player. Like I could defend, pass the ball, shoot a little bit. Um, not the fastest, strongest, jump the highest. But um, I the fact that I still remember that today is sort of what you talked about the effect of this toxic masculinity, this idea of totally consumed and winning instead of the process of developing kids to be better athletes, better competitors. Um, and you see that with, uh, obviously Buck Weston's son. Of course he names his son, Bucky. Right. It's,
0: real it's, subtle. Real.
1: Right. Real, real subtle. Nothing conceited about that. No. But it's interesting. So I really actually like Bucky because like he deals with his dad. He does what his dad tells him to do. He's proud to, you know, you know, follow his orders per se. Um, but he doesn't get in Sam's face he doesn't he's not saying oh I'm better I'm on the gladiators you're on the tigers uh they always sort of have a, a a pretty good relationship um and it all culminates in the championship when um Sam learned to move uh from his dad and gets past Bucky and scores and the Tigers win the championship spoiler alert by the way um if you haven't watched the movie um but yeah this this toxic masculinity really um, there's a problem in youth sports, and it's perfectly displayed in this movie. Um, um, you know, Duvall gets away with it, uh, and Phil Weston pushes kids down on the ground, and the ref has to come after him and said, Did you just push that kid? He's like, No, he fell down. Um, it's, that's probably over the line, but we've all seen those YouTube clips of those dads getting really too heated in the fourth grade, rec league basketball game <laughs> so
0: yeah luckily we're seeing less and less of that because as that one upside of like the uh i'd say camera phoneification of everything is that right. is that you're you're not gonna do something like that because it's like oh well it's at least i like shamed people into not you know, behaving like a total psychopath on the sidelines at, <laughs> at youth sporting events hopefully i mean again i don't don't have kids i'm not uh i'm not currently coaching youth sports but i i would imagine or even what i remember from the tail end of my playing days it seems like things were at least starting to trend away from those types of uh coaching and also parent fan behaviors
1: right, right. I got ask, I mean, we don't really get a chance to really see the gladiator players besides Bucky, but I really enjoy the cast of kids that they have on the Tigers. Sam's sort of even keeled, conventional kid. But tell me about Beans.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that that was a nostalgic one. Like I remember um, the first time I saw this movie. It was uh, where I think I was in the theaters with like a few friends and collectively. Everyone, like the first time he comes on screen, everyone's like, "Oh, it's Beans! It's Beans from uh from Even Stevens." He looks a little bit different. He's got like kind of the long hair, and he looks like he's you know kind of stretched out a little bit. He's like thinner, uh, a bit old because he got a bit older. But uh, but yeah, so that was just funny seeing him on screen the first time. He's uh saw this movie and uh really plays into, you know, kind of the pop culture wheelhouse of. Of that time for uh, for me and some of my friends. So, uh, what about you? What what do you think about beans and then uh, some of the other kids on the team? Actually, I'm noticing just real quick. Uh, so Bucky is uh, Josh Hutcherson, which I right forgot about that. Or because this was this would have been like before he was um, yeah you know super famous, obviously. But but that's kind of an A interesting Hunger Games, right? Yeah, Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. Yeah, he's been uh, that's like his main claim to fame i would think yeah. so yeah what do yeah. you think about uh the rest of the the cast of characters on the team i think beans might be the the main comic relief but oh yeah he's got some he's, o-
1: he's hilarious um my favorite it's uh, gotta be Byung song he's yeah. about three feet tall actually i think i'm gonna combine it because they combine at one point Amber, <laughs> who's this big kid is probably five foot five at like age 11 Probably 150 pounds. Looks like he should be a, a starting center for a high school football team. Uh, he develops a relationship with Byung Sung. Byung Sung is a young uh, kid played by Elliot Cho, and his two parents are, uh, are uh, parents are, are women, and they say he's very shy and doesn't really have any friends. and And these kids sort of embrace him. He. It's one scene early on where he's. Cup- Takes a Gary cup and keeps pressing it against his leg and making popping noises. And Will Ferrell's like, "Can you stop?" <laughs> and <laughs> then he keeps doing it later. Um, but they, but the in I mean, it was in the title game against the Gladiators. Byung-sung gets on Ambrose's shoulders and they create like a Superman, uh, like a giant. Uh, and it's really it's cute to see that Byung-sung becomes uh, part of the team. He has friends. Uh, that's a nice little touching it's you know part of why this movie is i believe is a good family movie um you really see these kids uh develop personalities i mean um mark avery who's beans um already has a personality you have the kid who eats worms who actually that's a tactic they use in part of the games which is interesting um and then you can't forget from athletic standpoint the two italian kids are just i mean those kids are amazing soccer players. Massimo that and Jean-Pierre, right? Right. And I'm pretty sure they're probably playing somewhere pro in Europe right now. Um, so a lot of nice kids on the team. Um, it's, and it's a good good mix and some silliness. I mean, you have to remember these kids are very young, um, but I think there's good acting there. Um, and I think it's, they're a hodgepodge group, but eventually they come together, um, which is nice to see
0: yeah and speaking of um beyondyon and beyond moms uh they they are both hilarious uh that's so they're another good uh kind of comic uh relief or two um very funny characters uh both of the moms because they're different uh they're different personality types but they're both hilarious in kind of different ways like their mannerisms and and uh, just like little kind of eccentricities, it's right. uh, it's just funny. And there, it's like, which I think, and it's also ties into like the whole like sports parents things. Like we all, it's. I mean, I imagine that, like uh, based on anyone I've ever talked to, whether it's like my parents or parents or my friends or or any or um, you know, people that are that are currently have kids in youth sports, it's like, I feel like there's nothing more stressful than watching your kids compete in sports. I f- like I feel like playing in sports is stressful. Being a competitor in sports is stressful, but anyone I know, like people that have played sports their whole lives. And then as a parent, watch their kids play sports and they're like, no, it's like incomparable. Like I'm way more stressed out watching my, Son or daughter participate. I remember. I think he was even like Doc Rivers said something like that because uh, his his son, one of his sons, played at Indiana University while I was there, and I remember like Jeremiah, had, right? Yeah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Rivers. Rivers. Yeah, absolutely. Nice call. And uh, yeah, I remember just hearing him talk about it. He was like, he was like, no, like I've coached in the finals, and he's like, it's not even comparable. Like watching my son play, I'm like a nervous wreck. It's like I can't handle it. So I think that, that this movie definitely touches into that. It's like, you know, kind of the insecurities of yeah, of uh, young athletes, but also of the parents. Like, the, you know, all they want is for their kids to succeed and be happy. And that's where it's like if your son or daughter gets benched, how like it doesn't just affect the
1: kid, it affects the whole family. So that's right, where and, it's like and,
0: lunatic coaches can right. kind of really take a toll like that.
1: Yeah, and Phil becomes so consumed in winning that he benches his own son, and uh, his wife, uh, Kate Walsh, yeah, um, she and uh, she plays Barbara Barbara Wesson and this um, Phil Wesson's wife. Uh, they end up going over to Buck's house and stay there because she just cannot stand, you know, seeing her son like that. And and it's sort of the opposite of what you are saying is you hate to see your you it's nerve wracking to see your son or daughter compete but then seeing them on the bench not being played not enjoying themselves like that's even worse yeah definitely um, so, yeah, yeah go sorry, ahead go no i just want to sort of bring the light um why we chose this movie um what the rating was for ron tomatoes and why we disagree um but if you'd like to uh continue um feel free i just thought it'd be important to uh bring up for our our listeners and um and see what they think um, after hearing this no, please,
0: Yeah, please. That's a good direction to go. I'd like to examine that
1: further. So the this on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it got a 41% out of 139 reviews, which is about an average of 5.5 out of 10, which is not great. Um, th- I found a quote somewhere that said, the script is mediocre and fails to give Farrell a proper comedic showcase. I I don't, I can't agree with that. I think we talked about as we talked about earlier Farrell gives a proper comedic showcase. He signature I mean certain scenes, signature Farrell um and you know overall I'm just I'm disappointed in seeing that because you know I know I made the bold statement that this is one of his best acting jobs, but I do believe it and call me crazy, but um I think his acting job makes it much higher than 41% and something I think I mean may want to do for our listeners is at the end of this podcast we can maybe give our own rating, Rotten Tomatoes rating, um, and show that this is better than um it seems to the public.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, or if like we could uh source the listeners and get kind of like a thumbs up or thumbs down and right. then make a new percentage for it. So let's say, you know, uh let's say seventy percent of you get back with us and say, yeah, I really like this movie. Then we'll say, no, the new, our personal Tomatometer has this movie as a 70, which is almost double what Rotten Tomatoes has it percentage wise. But I agree with everything you said. Um, I think, uh, yeah, Will Ferrell definitely shows some layers in this one. I think uh, because based on where his character starts, where he, where he gets to. And I think that's where he's at his peak is when he's like uh, the douchebag, like egomaniac uh, coffee addict. Like that scene with he and the lady between he and the lady, uh, Alex Borstein, who is the voice of Lois on family guy. Like that scene between the two of them in the coffee shop is just hilarious. They're like getting up in each other's face. And, uh, and then when he's like, he's like, he's like mouthing off to the, uh, baristas, <laughs> and, and he starts like chanting. He, I can't remember exactly what he's chanting, but he's like just chanting like a lunatic. Right. And he's like making up all these sayings. And he's like, "I have, I have this uh rewards card or this membership card." And then they're like, "We don't have, we don't have those. We don't give those out." And <laughs> the guy in front of him in line is like, "It's just like a blockbuster card, or it's like a video, it's like a video <laughs> store card." And he's like, "Damn!" And <laughs> just like spikes at the ground. It's like that's like vintage Farrell, where he's just like you know turn turn the volume up to 11, just, like, ripping and letting him go. And I'm guessing a lot of that was probably improv, like, the the part of the movies where he's, where he is, like, really just going for it, I'd say. And that's where it's, like, I think nothing better than uh, kind of Will Ferrell unleashed.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of Veronica Cornstone gets the lead uh, evening news, <laughs> and he sprints over there and runs through everyone and doesn't get and his dog... Baxter gets punted by Jack Black (laughs) off San Diego bridge and he's in a a glass phone booth and he's like, he's saying, you know, I'm so miserable. He's just yelling and screaming. And, and that's, that reminded me of uh, that scene. I don't know why. It's probably weird that that's my recollection and my uh, comparative analysis in my head. Uh, But it was, (laughs) it's like, he's, he's just, he's so focused on what he's saying. He's just yelling um, you know, I think in that scene, going back to uh, kicking, and screaming, he he gets kicked out of the coffee shop, and then he's like, "Okay, guys, it's okay." And then he tries to sprint back in again. to shut the door, uh, and <laughs> yelling and uh, throwing a temper tantrum. Um, you're right; that's so. I mean, this is there's vintage feral and you're exactly right.
0: Yeah. To following up on that, do you have any like favorite quotes from this movie, or any like favorite scenes, or anything that are kind of under the radar? If I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, I have one ready to go. Uh, unless, unless you have one ready to go, and I'll let you oh, delve cool. into it.
1: Yeah. Um, Ditka says at the end of the movie, he says, uh, I, got, I got till tonight to get all of the leaves from my yard into, into your dad's yard, <laughs> um, which starts in the beginning. Duvall yells at him for the leaves going in his yard, and it's very combative and, of course, two alpha dogs, and Phil gets yelled at by Dick in the beginning, um, and Dick is, uh so I may have botched the quote, but he says basically, you know, I got till tomorrow to get these in your dad's yard, your old man's yard, um, and, oh, I'm sorry, I just thought of one. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing as I'm saying it. Uh, Dicka and uh, Farrell are in uh, Dicka's house, and Dick is smoking a cigar and his wife comes in and says, are you smoking a cigar? And, and Dick says, no one's smoking in the house. And then she leaves and then she smells smoking, and comes back in and he blames it on Will Ferrell. And again, I don't know the exact quote, but that was one of the funniest scenes. Uh, this classic dicka yelling and... it
0: happens like 3 times like she walks back in like two or three times and each time i feel like he sparks up a new cigar or i can't <laughs> remember but it's like hilarious it's like it's like this dude is just like pathological he's just like <laughs> but it's like classic dick i mean great great dicka acting performance there i i'm not sure how much of it was acting and how much of it was like <laughs> it was just yeah, him was him doing that. him like uh, but uh, what's yeah. your quote so one that is like kind of low key. I feel like that I still reference to this day, like every once in a while, like I'll pull it back is towards the beginning when he's still like kind of more stayed calm, Will Ferrell, when he's talking about the kids at like the slumber party, he's like, they're like four foot tall whirling dervishes. And he's like, <laughs> I don't even know what whirling dervishes mean, but that's, that's what they were like. And it's like, <laughs> and that's like, and that's like when that, always made me laugh so hard because that's like it's a more subtle Will Ferrell part but like where it's like that like he says something but then follows it up with like I'm not even sure like what the exact definition of it is but but that's what they were that's it's like he's he just kind of says something and and then just like sticks to it and just really follows through with it it's uh I yeah I love
1: that scene and that quote in particular (laughs) that's a good quote um yeah, so many good ones, so many classic ones from Anchorman, Elf being one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. Um that's sort of a little bit too much of a hot take. And then obviously Kicking and Screaming, um, so many great quotes, especially yes, the Slumber Party was very, very cute, very uh very touching scene and um brought the kids together, so it was good. Um you know, and again to defend this movie um, from a scholarly perspective, Roger Ebert, who is one of the greatest uh, movie critics of um, the late, late 20th century, early 21st century, says gave it a three out of four stars and said um, it was an entertaining family movie. Uh, and another great uh, critic, David Palmer, gave it 3.5. Uh, 5. He said that Farrell um, and the film were much funnier than, to quote, a PG-rated kids film has any right being. Um, so for these guys, I think it really uh, exceeded expectations and, um, my, our takes are very important for this podcast and how we feel about it. Um, but to have two, um, uh, critically acclaimed critics, um, who support the movie, um, this is where I'm mad at rotten tomatoes for that. They should have done their research and really gotten expert, uh, advice and, uh, review. Yeah. And I, I'm I not love, bitter. Don't worry. I'm not.
0: No, bitter. no, clearly not. It's not showing at all, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's good. Either. like I'm, you know, it's a movie we're passionate about. And um, I think that second review you said it was David Palmer. Yep. I think that, that quote perfectly encapsulates how I feel about this movie. Cause I remember like, as a, like, when I first saw it, I was probably about 14, 15. So I, that was at the point where it's like, you know, PG movies. I was like, eh, I don't know. No, I was interesting. Like I wanted to see movies that were really going to push the envelope. Like I wanted to see like, kind of like the old school, uh, 40 year old virgin types of movies. And like those, like for just a couple examples, like at that age, but I, but I think that's like exactly what I always, my lasting opinion on this is like, it's way funnier than like a movie that's like constrained to like a PG rating has any right to be like, I think that hits the nail on the head. And, um, And also, if it's good enough for arguably the GOAT uh, film critic Roger Ebert, then I think it should be good enough for anyone.
1: You hear that, Rotten Tomatoes? You hear that? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Great movie overall. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Um, I got to give it – I would give it a 68% out of 100. Um, A little bit higher significantly. I I wouldn't put it up there with other – feral movies i think elf is close to 80 um i think anchorman is higher than that um don't really have a take on that right now but i give this i give this well above a 50 percent um which i guess would be around seven out of ten um so put at that how about you charlie yeah i would score
0: it higher i'm i'm actually surprised that the audience score is as low as it is like that's that's usually where with this, there would be like a disparity, like, oh, forty-one 41 from the critics, but the audience, it's like a 70. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like my personal rating, I would give it like on a five star scale. I think I would give it, I would give it three and a half. So, yeah, that equates into like a 70 percent. But I don't know. I mean, if there's a chance like if this movie got released today, it would uh, score higher with a number of critics i think because i think some of the themes about um you know just uh kind of the some of the coaching themes and some of the uh the some of those uh topics that it gets into i think maybe would be regarded uh or seen or emphasize, emphasized a little more excuse me in a uh critical sense so yeah i'd say about three and a half stars out of five um Yeah. So right around to 70% if we're uh, doing the math.
1: I like that. We're in agreement. That's good. Around the same area Mm -hmm. shows we have a very optimistic view of this movie. Unlike some cynics who don't want to see a great children's movie, get great ratings. Yeah. It's again, not bitter at all. (laughs)
0: Nope. That's all
1: about all I got, Charlie. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, to close out here, uh, I'm just looking at one, one re- reviewer, John Monahan of the Detroit free press. It says the snippet it gives is barely watchable. Oh so we are, we will emphatically disagree. And I will say rather than barely watchable, I would say it's very rewatchable.
1: Very rewatchable. Hey, it sounds like a, sounds like a little reference to the great rewatchables on the ringer Podcast Network. Yep,
0: a little tip of the cap there. Yeah, there you go.
1: Well, thanks, Charlie. This is great. I hope everyone enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, thanks, Henry. Uh, Yeah, if you haven't seen the movie lately, go on and check it out. And, uh, yeah, visit Underdog Nation, uh, our page on Facebook. Interact on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, visit the site, JokerMag.com. A lot of great stuff going on there. I know Henry's been uh, consistently churning out some great content on there and um you know some of the podcasts are kicking into gear whether it's uh the sneaky plays doing some march madness or some baseball talk it's all great stuff so man, if only this movie yeah. was a rom-com
1: for you charlie this would be perfect <laughs> i i think there's a way we could we could uh <laughs>
0: talk about it, view it in the rom-com perspective but regardless uh just a great movie great family movie and um one that I'm sure you'll all enjoy if uh, whether you've seen it before and and want to rewatch it, or whether you've never seen it. We both highly recommend it if that's not already obvious.
1: <laughs> we do. Well, I hope you enjoy this, folks. Again, I'm Henry Duncan. This is Fifty Under Fifty, our second installment on kicking and screaming, a vintage Will Fer- Will Ferrell movie.